Welcome to the Everything Will Be Okay podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Simonoff. Did you see that? That was me being super perky. I'm doing this sort of fake it till you make it thing where I, I, I sound perky and then I become one of those perky people. I'm trying. I'm doing things like yoga and I did this like 30 day circuit training thing, um, which like kind of kicked my ass, but it was, it was really good. I feel all strong. Um, I went on an 80 kilometer bike ride with my husband and my toddler the other day. So, I mean, where did that come from? Who is this? Who am I? I'll tell you who I am. I'm someone who is suffering from some weird form of like imposter syndrome, but like it's not quite because what, what's happening right now is that I am, uh, you know, trying not to slip into the abyss here, but you know, I'm having a hard time uh, seeing that things like opera and classical music um, matter right now. And I know that like they, they do, but like, but not, I don't know, they do. They do, right? Just because it's like, yeah, this has to be a big picture thing. This is what this whole pandemic thing has been teaching me. I don't know about you guys, but I have gotten a crash course in thinking big picture, like reminding myself that like three months of all of this is three months. I mean, it's not nothing, but it's only three months. It's like when you think back like five years later, if you think back to like a three month period, you're like, eh, whatever, that was that was that thing and then and then other things happened and I know that it's not like it's this whole thing is not done we're not uh running around on patio season yet at least not here in Toronto you know screw you rest of Ontario yeah I know it's not all done yet but uh but it's not been forever it it totally feels like it because all of our distractions and like the way we pass time and and like spend time and look forward to things like a lot of those things have been off the table particularly for uh for those with the the affinity for the performing arts like me it's a tough thing to complain about i understand Um, but here we are i think that there's something to be said for everyone's little world being disrupted Um, we all have a little world you know it's your little like weird forum on the internet that you go and talk to your nerdy friends about it's it's your if you actually like your work then it's it's sometimes it's you at work you kind of nerd out um you know everyone has their little stupid interests and my little stupid interest is opera god damn it and i miss it um but i am getting a good fix by having these conversations so this podcast is hopefully coming to like you know live up to its name um where everything will be okay you know everybody needs to have someone that is uh, is good for perspective that sort of gives them like a mental slap across the face and says you know like snap out of it you're being you know wallowy or you're being dramatic or you're being the wrong combination of wallowy and dramatic um i have a friend like that and his name is greg finney and he is the guest for for this episode so how's that for a seamless transition? Gregory Finney, what do we say about a Gregory Finney? He is a Toronto-based baritone. He's really made a name for himself as a compromario, which uh, if you're not an opera person, compromario is uh, opera speak for character role. So, you know, any sort of supporting character, like the, the funny friend, the like the drunk landlord, the weird priest, the, you know, the old uncle, you know, any kind of like memorable non-lead character who steals the scene and gets all the applause at the end of the night, that's Greg Finney. That's what he does. 
Um, he's got a real extensive background in theater and dance, um, and he's taught me so much about opera. And we, you know, we first met, um, I think it was like seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, we were working together on a production of The Merry Widow, and we just got along like gangbusters. And when I started Schmopera, and I started getting pairs of media tickets to go see shows that I would review, I started bringing Greg because he's an awesome opera date. And then that sort of expanded. Greg started writing his own stuff. He started writing reviews of shows along with me um, and sometimes in my stead. And he's really just been like this integral figure for Schmopper since since the beginning, I would say. Um, so it was like a no-brainer to have Greg on this podcast because A, he's a dear, dear friend of mine and I obviously am not getting to see him very often these days. And so it was great to like set aside an hour to talk with him. And he's so refreshing. He's so in love with with the art form, but he's really just got this head on his shoulders that you know often puts me to shame. Like he really knows, you know. Yes, I love this stuff. I love performing arts. I love live theater. But like when there's bigger stuff going on, Greg is all over it. Greg also has an interesting uh, interesting story to tell um, because he only recently made performing his full time job. He quit a, a day job that he'd had for years and years. Um, he quit back in August 2019, and then he went on the road with Against the Grain Theatre, did a couple of shows with them, and then boom, pandemic. Um, so it's kind of this like horrible timing thing that like, you know, if anyone can laugh about it, it's Greg. And he does, because he's awesome. We love Greg. I think it's worth mentioning that when Greg and I spoke, it was right before the, the protests for the Black Lives Matter movement had started. Um, Greg is a very socially aware person, um, and he's uh, the ally of all allies. And um, and if this had been happening while we were talking, he definitely would have had something wise to say about it. In case you're wondering, um, in case you know Greg, um, and you're wondering why he's not saying anything about it, it's because this happened just before that. Uh, yeah. Enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Greg Finney, Schmopper author, baritone, theater guru, amazing person. All right, man. Well, how are you? I'm fine. Um, it, it's it's really funny how this whole pandemic thing just sort of reminds me of what it was like uh, being a super poor artist. <laughs> <laughs> it's being yeah. not allowed to leave the house right like yeah back, you know back then like the stuff was going I just couldn't attend because I couldn't afford the ticket and I didn't have enough of a name for people to give me free ones <laughs> right that's the trick <laughs> so yeah it was it's a uh, it, it's interesting like my partner Malcolm he's definitely I think he's feeling it a bit more than I am I mean I was sort yeah, of yeah he's like a social butterfly right I mean oh, yeah. both are yeah, it, we we both are, but I mean, anyone who's done a show with me knows that I really do value my alone time, as everyone should. You know, it's a it's a large part of keeping yourself sane and healthy, and and that kind of stuff is sometimes you just have to stop and have a ten minute conversation with yourself in a quiet room, <laughs> yeah, which right. sounds which sounds like maybe you might need treatment. You know, like if it was the eighties, but. You know, sometimes having a good chat with yourself is the best thing for you. Well, I feel like that's why so many artists are like actually secret introverts. It's like they sort of, they save it all and then it all comes out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the mm -hmm. amount of times 
the whole characteristic of the shy performer. Um, and, you know, it's, they're out there. And I find that the more I work, and especially the older I get, the more my colleagues tend to be those shy, introverty kind of performers. Interesting. Um, in real life, you know, like, they become more yeah, homebodies. They become, you know, more into smaller, smaller engagements, things like that. And and I don't know if that's an age thing, um, or if it's just needing a break from the amount of people who are in a rehearsal hall at any given time. You know, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of I don't know why I didn't expect it, but like there seems to be a pretty like common sentiment especially among like performing artists who are uh, like stressed and out of work for obvious reasons but like they're actually like also admitting to me in great numbers so like I kind of love it I'm never at home for this long I'm never like home for like three square meals at normal times and like to do gardening and all that stuff like to do laundry like get your laundry (laughs) done and and fold it you know like that's a that's a big part of it and it's also like those of us who are performers we usually learn that we are going to become a performer or we want to become a performer very early on in life we don't have to spend a whole lot of time struggling with the what do I want to be when I grow up like the dream is kind of like there from very early on so now that we have all this time we're starting to find these other things these other corners of the world these other corners of our own existence that we find interesting and are exploring more deeply because we never had the time to because we were so wholly invested in being a performer being an artiste you know like that like it's really thrown into relief how much our as a performer how much our identity relies wholeheartedly on what we do you know like our job career like it's our it's our being and and that's not particularly I don't think the most healthy way to view it I mean you can say like it's one thing to say like I you know I couldn't live without being on the stage like most people are being very hyperbolic when they say that uh, like sure, yeah. sure like if if you had a dry year and you weren't on stage like you're not just going to like waste away or melt like the Wicked Witch of the West you know um, <laughs> yeah. you know like you're, you're gonna survive kid like we're good we're all good but um yeah. But the but it, it really does become a danger when your entire identity is just intrinsically linked to what you do, because what happens is when you're not doing it, now who are you, right? Like who am I now? And you get like so many of the, it's it's almost like it's not a prerequisite to success, like to be that kind of investment, like that to give that much to your art. But like it is kind of there's a correlation of people who are at the top tier and they live this like a thousand percent every day. You know? But that's but that's not just our industry either. Like we yeah. because we're such vul because we're we're in an industry where we have to be more vulnerable than most other people are in their lines of work. Um but like it's the same in the like I've worked in the business world. I've had day jobs for a long time, and and the hustle is the same. Like these people eat, breathe, and live their work as well. Um, yeah. The only difference yeah. is is they get to work from home and still collect their paychecks or what have you, right? Like our yeah. industry literally closes up shop, done. 
poof, gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're left scrambling, trying to find, and because our identities are so intrinsically linked to what we do, that's why we're scrambling to find outlets uh, online and things like that, just so we can keep making our art. I mean, there's something to be said for the the nobility of continuing to practice, but you don't have to do your practice on a like a Zoom presentation, right? Like, you can still be singing oh, yeah. with nobody else listening to you, and that's fine. You know, and now might be a good yeah. chance to do more of that. Yeah, but that's kind of a test activity, I think, because I think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, like, I think a lot of professional singers, even like, I was thinking, I don't know if you watched the Mets at home gala, but like, I got the sense that a lot of the people who, who sang for that, like, are, they're used to getting the feedback from an audience, of course, Mm -hmm. because they go into like a live performing arts genre. So like without the audience there, it's like, they don't have the same kind of, they can't like, they can't muster up the same kind of energy. I'm like, I feel for them because it's not like they are not good artists because they can't feign this kind of thing. It's just like, it's not the medium that they pursued, but it, all of a sudden it has to be like, you have to be on screen all of a sudden. You have to work with a microphone. I mean, you have yeah, to do this. Yeah. You have to like know where you're, you know, you have to keep your eyes in the lens, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's a different piece. Like a lot of, a lot of live performers, like there's, it they used to call it stage presence you don't hear it much anymore because it's something that can't really be taught um but it's just is it charisma maybe it's charisma maybe it is but for charisma to work there has to be an audience whose reaction you can manipulate and that's honestly that's what charisma really ends up being is someone able to use their charm or whatever it is to manipulate a crowd into thinking or feeling a certain way. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's that quality that, that, you know, even when they're not singing or even when they're just in the back of a scene, you're still locked on that one person on stage because they have it. Um, a large part of what brings that out is the audience on the other side of the footlight. So yeah. it's, it, it's, like otherwise it just feels like we're in a rehearsal hall or in our studio, you know, you're in your home without that crowd there. You're, you're, you're basically, you're back in your vacuum. So how are you, Greg Finney handling your lack of audience these days? Um, social media. Well, I also turn it to different directions too. I mean, the lack of audience thing, like when you're like, I kind of have a reputation for being a bit of the scene stealer. So I'm never really. On. Yeah, surprise. I think my last review, um, you can quote it as say, I think you said, uh, Finney as well, Finney. <laughs> That's the way <laughs> I described. Um, Did I write that? Know? Yeah, no, no, it was definitely not you. It was another one mm-hmm. of our critic friends. Awesome. Um, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, now I've lost my train of thought. Choo choo. Yeah, right. no. When you're the, when you're kind of the scene stealer, like you, like I don't. I, it's very rare for me to be in every scene of a show, so I get I get a lot of like mine comes in massive bursts, right? So I can kind of trick my mind into believing I'm getting the same kind of a reaction, like when I do an Instagram post and you get the first twenty likes, right? Yeah. Not that I'm some influencer who's going to get millions. Uh, it should be. <laughs> you know, a girl's trying a girl's trying yeah you really are um, 
so what Malcolm, it, this was Malcolm's idea. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know, Malcolm's my partner and he is probably the most special human being on the planet. Hi, Malcolm. Uh, yeah, he's downstairs. I kicked him into the room. Uh, <laughs> Are you talking about your, uh, your amazing fashion shoots of late? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he came up with the idea because, like like you said, he's a social butterfly. Uh, we live out in Mississauga. We live a kilometer away from his office. He comes home for lunch every day. Like, when he finishes his work, he's home by 5 o'clock because he finishes at 4.30. You know? Mm-hmm. And he, so then every evening, he'd be downtown going to this live show, going to that live show, going to a gallery, hanging out with his downtown friends. And it, 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 it really shook him. So... One day he said, I'm getting dressed up for dinner. I don't care. It was one of probably like within our first five days of quarantine right, or whatever. Yeah. 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 He's like, screw it. I need something, something to do. So I'm getting dressed up for dinner. And he did it alone the first day. And he was having such a grand time that I joined in the next day. So since then, uh, we dress up for dinner every day. Um, we're playing on the word dress code and we call it dress COVID. Nice. Uh, dressed yeah. for dinner. And we basically... We're going through our massive closets because we do love to dress up. We do love to turn a look. And we're just wearing a different fancy outfit for dinner and doing a little photo shoot in our backyard and uh, posting them all on Instagram. So it's actually been Instagram and Facebook, actually. Yeah. And it's been a a lot of fun. It gives us something definitely to look forward to. You know, our conversations are now, it's not just what's for dinner. It's also what are you wearing? Um, Those are the biggest questions. The only two, well, being in a, everyone knows being in a relationship is just asking each other what's for dinner over and over again until you die. Right. That's beautiful. Isn't that? It's just poetic. I, I can't take credit for that. That's a meme I saw on Imgur once. Okay. Um, <laughs> but like, it's it's one of those things that sticks with you because it's so true. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So we we get dressed up and we have dinner and then. We, we post mm-hmm. our, our pics and then the feedback we're getting is really, really cool. Like the amount of people who send us messages saying, we look forward to this every day. Like this is the bright spot in my day. People's mm-hmm. news feeds on their social media are so negative with all of this horrible stuff that's going on south of the border, ignoring science, ignoring medicine, putting yeah, people's yeah. lives at risk. Uh, like it's just ridiculous to see how many quote unquote intelligent, learned people are just ignoring facts and science. Yeah. So it's just some. It's just nice to have a little bright spot of positivity that we can look forward to every day. And it was a hundred percent his idea because he loves to dress up. I mean, mm-hmm. I also love to dress up, but it's a large part of what I do as an opera singer. Like, the, we dress up for work. We dress up to. And if you're singing in a gala, you dress up. If you're singing in a this, you dress up. If you're in a show, you get a costume, so you're dressing up. So it's that's another way that I'm sort of like pulling that theatrical experience back home, even though I can't have an audience right there with me. Uh, I at least get to feel like I'm dressing up into a new character, even though the character is me because they're all my own clothes. If that makes any sense. It's a creative outlet and it's a bit of entertainment for us. And we like to, and we also get to have a few glasses of wine. So that's nice. Hey man, any excuse? Any. (laughs) I'm from Cape Breton Island. I don't need no excuses. (laughs) Like... I'm at, like everyone's sort of in their own boat with what's going on right now. But like, what are you getting in terms of talking with your colleagues and friends who are out of work, some more than others? Like, what's the sort of vibe that you're getting in in the I guess in the in the industry that you work in? 
Uh, I would say, like, I would say cautious optimism. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like, I mean, yes, there's definitely a major negative cloud hanging over us all right now, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the majority of the fear about losing the gigs is coming from people who are enjoying a major upswing in momentum in their career at this point. Because like live performance is much more uh, fickle, I find, than film or television. Because someone can be a fan of yours on film or television, and you can be on a bad show, and they'll just go and find one of your old shows and watch that instead. In live performance, we don't have that library accessibility for our audience to go back and see another one of our performances. Yeah, yeah that's true. I have a question for you. Because uh-huh. you you were in one of these things, these like virtual opera things that are now like going out as some sort of like consolation prize, I guess, or like a pivot <laughs> from the stage yeah. thing. So you were in the it was the Labo M that Against the Grain Theater produced, and it was correct me if I'm wrong. It was in conjunction with CBC Arts and with the BAM Center. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and sorry, so that just got shown uh, for. For not the first time, but like, was it the first time during all the quarantine that they've put it up? It's the first time, like, we've been plugging it as much as we could, but it's the but it's the first time it's been rebroadcast by the CBC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so I'm curious, just as sort of a general topic, because I don't want to put you on the spot with any any of the people you're working for, but the one of the questions that's come up, and it's kind of like we're inventing the process right now, is is how do we get if we're going to pivot to like virtual opera for a while, or even as like a placeholder, um, how do we make sure people get paid? Like, do you have any like predictions on how that's going to evolve as like a concept for, I guess, some sort of royalties method or something? I don't think, I don't think we have to, I don't want to say concern ourselves with it. Of course we have to concern ourselves with it, but like a very successful model already exists and it's called film and television. You might've heard of it. Um, yeah any any of my friends out there who are actra members which is the film and tv radio television communications actors union it's the it's the version of canadian actors equity but for film and television and radio Mm -hmm. um when you when you when you join that union and you enjoy the protections that that union gives you and the benefits and the privileges etc um all of your contracts are laid out in various different ways. And that's these are the models that we're going to have to use. We're going to have to switch to a broadcasting model. And a broadcasting model already exists. It's already governed by the CRTC. It's brought up every three years for renegotiation. It, these things happen. So um, it, what's going ha- to happen, what really has to happen is it's going to come from the unions. They're going to have to work together first. Yeah, um, and it feels like Canada's unions are kind of unique in terms of sharing stuff online? Well, yeah, and they also already have a reciprocal agreement, the two. So if I'm a full member in Canadian Actors' Equity, I don't have to go and get them my three film credits and then da-da-da-da-da. I can basically just pay my entry fee and be, get my full actor as well, right? I don't have to be on a film I contract. I don't have to earn film credits, and vice versa. If yeah. I'm a full actor member and I want and i'm go to do theater i have to be hired on an equity contract because they have a a, a reciprocal agreement Mm -hmm. um so the industry is actually 
already pretty soundly built to handle this kind of thing. We're just not used to it because we are live theater creatures. Yeah. Like I'm right? seeing a lot of cool, like it's already, the smaller companies seem to be able to obviously to move more quickly on this. I'm, I'm wondering about. Well, they don't have to go through, they don't have to go through a board of directors and a chair and 19 million donors and that, 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 yeah. But like, I don't know. What do you think about like places like the Met or like the the COC or like the Royal Opera, like these big places that we want to see the content that they're putting out because they're or like they're, you know, they're almost historical, right? I mean, look, we love the Met. Obviously, it's like the esh- the upperest of the echelons. Yeah. But yeah. I think I like I don't know if we have to really worry so much about the Met or the COC. You know what I mean? I don't feel like we have to worry about as much about La Scala. Like, like you think these they're going to be okay? I, th- I think, well, yeah, obviously they're going to be okay. If they have the balls to like have all of this network set up and all this stuff and then still come to their artists and ask them to sing for free in a gala, you are the Met. You pay your artists. Well, I Sorry. know, but like, <laughs> I agree. Here, we found our episode title, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, maybe, right? So, like, I'm with you. I don't think that, like, I think there there is an end. It might not be in sight because we don't quite know yet. But, like, I don't, I agree. Like, this is not going to be, like, how we live the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder about, like, with the arts and, like, because it's, especially, like, I guess I'm talking about freelance artists, not necessarily the companies. But, right. like, by the time, like, by the time it's safe to get back into theaters again to do this somewhat like we used to, like... I wonder how many of them will be left. Like, you know, it sounds so like dramatic the way how I'm many, saying it, but not how everyone. How many of the artists will be left? Yeah, and how many of the artists? Because so many of them, like, so many of them have day jobs or or additional jobs. But like, you know, a lot. Say, for example, you work as a server. Like, you don't have that job either right now, or like, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. Like, I, I'm interested, especially with your like. It's almost like with your story because it's almost like hilarious sort of like how do i have this amazing timing is that what you're saying yeah can you explain your amazing timing i just like because it's it's almost beautiful you left a day job in like fall of 2019 in in, uh, my last day of work was august 16th 2019 oh i guess okay yeah and then i i had a month off of just vacation relaxing um freeing my soul and then I was in Banff on September 16th. That tour and work took us all the way to the end of October. End of October. Then I had about 10 days off. Uh, then I had another couple days off. Then we took it up to the Yukon. We got to take it. I got to sing opera in Dawson City, which is pretty fucking cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's the first time opera's been performed in Dawson City in over 100 years. Like, it was Gold Rush times the last time there was an opera. Um, so, yeah, I did that. Came home, had a bit of a week off, did my Figaro's wedding contract. Uh, that took me up to Christmas. Then January came. All the while, I also had my church gigs, so I sang weekly at church. Right, yeah. And then we start hearing news about COVID-19 in mid-January, and that's when it starts really getting into our media from what's going on. Um in China. So I had some tech work in February. I had an appearance with opera and concert in Kamaraska. 
it was a season of reprises for me. Like I was remounting, I did four productions and each one of them was <laughs> a remount of a role I'd done previously with that company. Yeah, but um, that's great. I mean, which, which is great. It means they liked what I did last time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Bring back the show stealer. <laughs> right. And luckily, and, and the, my last show for the season, um, which was the week, which closed the week before Ontario was shut down. Uh, we finished on March 8th, uh, was HMS Pinafore, and I got to play one of my dream roles of Sir Joseph Porter. So I'm coming on this massive upswing. I'm one of these people enjoying this amazing performing momentum, and I come off uh, stage doing HMS Pinafore and had a really great time on that show, felt really good about my work, felt really good about the work I did with my colleagues, felt really good about the way I was singing, which is not, you know, personally, I'm not, don't usually feel that way most singers don't no, um most singers don't <laughs> singers don't but um we, but i but i did like i felt i felt like i accomplished my goals as a singer on the stage doing gilbert and sullivan and mm-hmm. gilbert and sullivan is harder to sing than a lot of people think especially to do it cleanly and properly and get all of that ridiculous florida victorian language out um, so yeah, so I'm enjoying all this. I quit a super lucrative day job, having a great tour, living the life, being an artist, and then boom, everything shut down. And I lost all my work up until September. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, so yeah, I'm sorry, guys, but um, this is probably my fault. <laughs> uh, I quit my day job to be a full-time performer. So the fates were like, you know what? You want to be a full-time performer? We're just going to take the existence of that job away. That yeah. doesn't exist anymore. Well, the thing is, like, I remember having, you know, more than one conversation with you when you were floating the idea of quitting your day job and doing this. And, like, because it's risky anyway, right? Like, it's risky in normal circumstances. Yeah. At the best of times, it's a risky decision. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, if you'd known this was coming, it would probably have influenced your decision. But, like... <laughs> but it's it's such a I don't know it's almost like you have a lot of experience in the industry but you have had that thing that like the grass is always greener right like a lot of artists have wished that they had something stable so that they can like at least count on bills and and that kind mm-hmm. of thing and then when you're in that and, and you also are someone who wants to be on the stage like you're like I wish I had more time to do that of course but like so what's going through your mind right now in like you know, here you find yourself at this weird fork in the road. Oh man, do I miss that diamond money? I tell you that. Um, <laughs> There's the episode title. <laughs> oh, I, I have a feeling if we keep talking, I can come up with a few more. Well, I keep uh, I keep track of them as we as we go. All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know, it's I, I had I had some experience being the the true starving artist. You know, fifteen twenty years ago. Um, so it, it's not as much of a blow to my ego as, as one would think, especially someone who knows my persona. Um, <laughs> it's funny, like, I'm actually, like, despite the character I can portray in some conversations or on stage, I'm actually quite low maintenance and very adaptable. Um, it's, it, you know, when you see me turning a look, yeah. You know, I, I do have the clothes, but I don't wear them every day. <laughs> like, 
I, yeah, I would be yeah. ashamed to be seen out in public with what I'm wearing right now, but there's no cameras, so we don't have to worry. <laughs> um, but that's it. But my adaptability has always sort of been like it's it's a trait that's served me well in my art, and it's also served me really well in life. Um, you know, I become like I I have very few poor reviews as a roommate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but the, but it is when you live with somebody new, like there's adapt adaptations that you have to make to your life so that yeah, you, yeah. your roommate will still talk to you and vice versa. Yeah. Um, you know, and especially when you go from being like I was in roommate situations for almost my entire adult life, and then I was living alone, and now I'm living with a partner, and it, we're four years in. It's been four years since I moved out here. Can you believe that? Oh my God, um, we're so old. We're so old, and time has. <laughs> You have a child. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> I didn't have that when we met. No, no, no. We had lots more free time when we met. Oh, my God. Those were the days. Those were the days. Good old Mary Widow. Yeah. Um, but, hey, I mean, like, so so what kind of, in terms of individual freelance artists, like, who's going to make it through this thing? Like, say, did you read that, like, that study that Nats and a few other organizations put out? About how like singing is terrible for coronavirus or whatever, <laughs> or like, no. oh, it's so depressing. It's just like it's basically just saying that singing is like the worst activity you could do to spread, to spread COVID. Oh, and oh. You're like, well, yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense. Thousand percent sense. Yeah, <laughs> but like, was, all we do is breathe moistly and spit on each other. <laughs> you're speaking moistly again. <laughs> like, like I always figured. It made sense to me that the performing arts would not be in like the, you know, the top, the first five of like businesses to reopen. Cause mm -hmm. I know the difference between like something that's, you know, essential in like the, the squishy sense, but like actually essential in the real sense, yeah. but like to sort of think of it as this, like, you know, basically the study was saying like, Oh, we can't, you can't do like live performing arts that involves singing until there's a vaccine really because that's like the only safe situation where you could rehearse something and then actually have all the people come into the venue and people could actually like choirs could sing in the same room you know yeah. and like the squishy side of me is like how very dare you sir but <laughs> part of me that has a brain is like yeah like well when you think about it like look at it when you're in a show Right. Eventually, about a week and a half, two weeks into the rehearsal run, if you're lucky enough to have more than two weeks, um, it, it, you know, about a week, week and a half in, all of a sudden you start seeing people wearing more scarves and hugging their tea a little closer. That's because yeah. we're all getting each other sick from singing in each other's faces and breathing in each other's mouths. Like, yeah. like you know, it, it, it's part of the it's part of the gig. And like you can't have. A love story where the lovers don't kiss like i mean like bring on the reggie directors i guess well this is the this is the, this is their chance to really show <laughs> no how. don't say that look i'm pro i'm pro these guys and i'll tell you why huh. um and, and i'll tell you what these guys that are doing this reggie theater are we supposed to say it in german i think we're supposed to say it in cape breton okay reggie theater yeah. <laughs> it's Reggie theater stuff that everyone's doing over there in Europe, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, like, I think that this stuff is important. And 
and they're doing good work as long as they're not doing something new just for the sake of it being new. Well, this is the thing. They do like to put their stamp on things. That's fine. Put your stamp on it. That's okay. But yeah, if you're doing it, that thing. But it's the but it's the impetus behind the the vision, right? So if the vision is just I want to show something new, no. That's not why we do it. If it's I want to show this from a new angle and this is the angle, then I'm all for it. And I think that's what a lot of Reggie Theater directors think they're doing. Uh, some are more successful than others. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it, it's kind of like part and parcel of my have the box to be outside of the box. It, it works in reverse, too. You need the stuff that's outside of the box to make you appreciate what's in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, like if I see one of these Reggie Theater Don Giovanni's, like, I may love or hate the production and what the director has decided to do with it, but it always harkens me back to the original Don Giovanni and, like, what they would have done in the 18th century and how it would have looked then. And, you know, it, you can't have one without the other. It's the same as, like, my argument for Opera Atelier doing the same production over and over again. Right. Like it's, that's what they do. They do it very, very well. They are probably one of the best at what they do. And we need that. We need to be reminded where we come from in this artwork or we can't know what direction to go forward in. Also, yeah. like you can't like you can't say that like this new composer reminds me of Bach if you don't know what Bach sounds like. So we need these companies to remind us what it's supposed to sound like, what it's supposed to look like, what it used to look like, so that we know whether or not the new stuff is worth its salt. Mm. Um, you know, it, it like I'm not a purist it, by any stretch. I love seeing a new thing. I mean, look at the work I do with Against the Grain, right? Like, no figure is what I'm obviously, but like I've also done Notze. I've also done La Boheme, right? Like. I've also done the traditional ones and I love them just as much. And each, each one as a, each one makes me appreciate the other more. Yeah. Well, yeah right. Sure. And, and I find that the people who get up in arms. So I have this, I have a problem with people who don't like things, putting down other people who like that thing. So like when yeah. someone's like, oh, I hate this, this sucks. No, this doesn't suck. You just don't like it. Right? Maybe you don't get it. Maybe you do get it, but you just don't like it. That doesn't mean it sucks. And I use Nickelback as an example. Are you Nickelback, saying Nickelback is not objectively sucky? I'm saying Nickelback is objectively a good band. And here is my argument for it. Finny. They're tight. They sound, when they play live, they sound exactly the way they sound on their recordings. They produce their product live in the moment. They do perform live. They play their own instruments. They don't sing to a track. Do I like the music they make? Abso-effing-lutely not. Will I ever buy a Nickelback album? Less than zero times. But they are objectively a good band. They work hard. They write complete songs. The, like they pass the right complete songs. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm hearing a lot of stuff on the radio that's literally just a chorus and a hook. There's no verse, there's no harmonic progression, there's none <laughs> of that crap that makes a song a song. All right. Yeah. And okay. and these are from artists that I love. And like in a genre that I love. Hip hop is terrible for this. It's like, oh I got a hook, I got a chorus, now I got a banger. It's like, 
no, you have a third of a song. Yeah. Uh, but like, but <laughs> Nickelback, I don't like their music. I don't particularly like Chad Kroger's voice. Mm. Are they a good band? Yes. It's my argument. It, it like, yeah, like when you ar- argue it objectively, you can't say that they're a bad band. You can't say that they suck. You can say that I don't like their music, but you can't say that they suck. If they sucked, they wouldn't be selling millions of millions of tickets to their live shows. I think I think it's my show, and I'm going to name it Nickelback Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it under the episode titles category. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to spell Nickelback. Okay, so what, okay, I know that you miss, like, you know, stealing scenes and going out in public and stuff, but, like, what are, like, what's, like, a weird, stupid thing that you miss that is non-essential, but you miss it? A weird, stupid thing that I miss that is not essential, but... Like, I miss wandering around downtown winners' stores and just flipping yeah. through the clothes. And that, basically, that's what I miss is the idea of browsing anywhere. Yeah. Right? Like, when I, like, for instance, like, I, you know me, I'm a foodie. I love to cook. I love being in the kitchen. But to do that, you have to, like, literally explore your grocery store. And especially now, like, in this situation, you can't do that. You can't just be wandering around like, oh, what's in this? Yeah. What does this do? And you can picking things up and reading labels. and this, this, this. No, like, now you have to know what you're getting, go in, get it, and get out. That, that's 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 what I miss is the idea of browsing and like being able to pick something up, hold it, look at it, and then put it back. <laughs> Not have to take it with me and buy it because I touched it. Yeah. I, miss, I also miss walking outside without judging other people for being too close together. <laughs> I know. It's like the – like I – you know, you live downtown Toronto, you already get angry at people who are in your way. And now it's just like in hyperdrive. Yeah. And, and like, I live in the suburbs where there's space and like, there's a, so there's a walking path that takes from our townhouse complex that takes us right to the, like the Meadowvale town center where we buy our groceries and our booze and our shoppers drug mart and Canadian tire are there. And so, so we have this one path that we walk and, like, before this all went down, we were the kind of people who would just pick up what you needed for dinner on the day of, right? So it was almost every day we were taking this path back and forth. And it passes through, like, a public, it's called Hunter's Green Park, and it's always dead empty. It's like, it's like the, it's like the scene in The Walking Dead when he kind of walks down the highway and everything's, like, just barren, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... The pandemic happens and everyone's like, you have to stay home unless you're going out to exercise. This park is bumping. Like, everybody's out. I'm like, I have never seen you before. I have never seen you before. I walk this path almost every second day. I have never seen any of you. I'm pretty sure your household does not have six mothers in it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And, like, I know you're, you're you're a young mother, but that's who I see flaunting out here anyway, flaunting the the social distancing orders the most is these moms mm-hmm. with these giant hummers of strollers. Like I see four and five of them coming down the path at once. None yeah. of them will 
will move to the side because they gave birth. Um, but it's <laughs> no, Greg. It's because they have a stroller. <laughs> Your stroller has wheels. That's the point. It's to make it move easier. <laughs> I don't know, man. I might be on team moms here. Well, you are a mom. I wouldn't expect otherwise. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally biased. But like, but that's, but I'm just saying, like, that's my experience. That's what I see, right? Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not no, for sure. Like, don't at me. Like, don't DM me. Like, like yeah. that's what I see in the suburbs. It's boomers and yeah, and new moms with their strollers that are flaunting the social distancing rules. Um, yeah. but that being said. What am I going to do about it, right? I'm not going to get within six feet of them. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I know. It's like, I remember one of the other guests I've had on the podcast, I said, like, what do we do? What, is, what do we do as artists? And he says, we be good citizens. You know, we, we model good behavior. Barf. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, and that's when, and I agree. I do wholeheartedly agree. That barf was to be funny. Um, I'm going to tell them that you barfed. I did. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell them, give me their number. I don't know who it was. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it, but it, but it, it really is the truth. We, the truth, like we have to be good citizens and because we're, we're, we're public figures on a platform, however big or small it may be, we, we kind of have to help remind everyone to do the same. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, like, can you imagine like Beyonce telling you to wash your hands and then not doing it? Like how ashamed would you feel? Right. So yeah. like, I'd look I look over my shoulder. Yeah. You know, it's like, ah, yeah. um, but the, you know, as, as artists, as performers, as people with a platform, as people who are, whose job it is to be watched by others, like in times like this, it's important that we're seen doing the right things. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the long and the short of it. But I mean, I, I I think it's I think it's doubly important for us. I mean, I think it's important for everyone, but doubly important for us. Yeah. Um, since it's the name of the podcast, I have to ask all of my guests. Greg Finney, will everything be okay? Totally. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. The look, look. Human beings have been through much worse catastrophes, and. And really, like, yes, people are dying. I've lost a family member um, to COVID. Like, it's not, it's not like I'm 100% completely removed from this virus either. But this too shall pass. And and the way it passes is again by us being good citizens and us, you know, being mindful. Um, but. But that's what we need to do. We just need to be less careless and and we'll come out of it. And and in the meantime, like if audience members out there are listening and are worried about whether or not, you know, their favorite art is going to be there when we come out of this on the other side, there's a way you can help. Like donate, volunteer, 